Here we go. Microphone is on. I'm just recording. It's been a long time. We'll see if I even post this. Anyway, so I'm just going to go with the most basic plan for recording a podcast. I always think when I sit down and think about how I should do this, it is that I should write some book notes on different book quotes throughout the week and then record once a week. I sometimes come to this conclusion that I should record a little bit each day, do like five minutes a day. What ends up happening when I've done that in the past is I repeat myself over and over and over. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it made me realize how easy it is to just like forget and how quickly it is to forget that I've talked about something. So the first book I'm going to talk about is called The Making of Karataka or Karatikatika. Um, not sure exactly how to pronounce it, but by Jordan Mechner. He is also the creator of Prince of Persia. He has these two books, Making of Karataka, Karatika, and also The Making of Prince of Persia, their development diaries. I have been really enjoying these types of books. Uh, another one that comes to mind is not development, but more of like a production diary by Robert Rodriguez. He wrote a book called Rebel Without a Crew where he talks about not the making of Desperado, but of El Mariachi, the movie that he made before Desperado, and just captures like his rise to fame. Anyway, so the making of Karateka from its journals 1982 to 1985, and it's just him talking about his freshman year, I think it is, at Yale. And he just talks kind of like week to week. He'll just have different diary entries about what he did. Um, and it's not, I, I think it's not necessarily about Karateka. Like he didn't start writing his diary to capture that, but a lot of it is related to that because that was his main project during those years. But there's just stuff about like what he's doing at Yale, what he's doing when he returns home, what he does as he begins like exploring, working at large game companies on the West coast and, and and the thing that is, I guess, comforting in a way, not exactly Misery Loves Company, but um, just to see something relatable is, and that he can, is that he was still successful, even though he went through different periods. You can see the indecision in some things about, he questions what path he should pursue. He's very interested in film. So he's considering like, oh, should he just stop making games, go into film? Should he still pursue that? Um, and then you also see some of the overlap in, because he's so interested in films, filmmaking, visual storytelling, he's able to integrate that into some of the game development that he does, the game design. And Karateka is one of the first games, maybe the first game with in-game cinematics. Of course, it's like, it's the 80s, so it's still images with some text, but it does create this sort of, um, different storytelling than games before it had done and probably started a legacy that lives on today as far as having cinematics in games and getting the gameplay to become more cinematic over the last few decades. And here, here's a book quote. He says, July 23, 1983, it's been Karateka Day, I ver versed and Deraxed all 12 block shapes. It really is a joy to work on something I enjoy working on. 
It seems too good to be true. After Alphabet. I can't wait to get up tomorrow morning and work on it some more. That's the end of the quote, and it just captures how excited he is to work on Karatika. This is July, and then he returns to school. Real life beyond programming gets exciting. He's he, 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 he's not capturing like all his dates and that sort of thing, but he will mention if there's a girl at school that he's interested in or someone that he met. And just captures like, oh, yeah, real life was happening. So in the summer, he's waking up excited. And in September, so in the fall, he wakes up excited, but not necessarily in the same way. So this entry is from six weeks later, September 7, 1983. I'm not working on Karatika. This is dangerous. At this moment, computer programming seems boring compared to a lot of other things. If I don't jump back in soon... I may not want to. That's the end of the quote. So, yeah, July, it's a joy to work on something I enjoy working on. Can't wait to get up tomorrow, tomorrow morning and work on it some more. And then six weeks later, I don't know if I'm interested in doing this. And I know that it's important to get back to it or I may never pick it back up again. So, yeah, that's why I like this book. Enjoyed it. And it, it he does eventually release it, and it's up and down throughout. And just seeing that that is something that can happen in the pursuit of creative project, any project, um, it's not going to be that excitement forever. Even if you do find something that you love doing, if it's on one single project, it's hard to stay that interested in a single project. Some, so probably in a single craft you can do for your entire life. But if you were very interested in playing the guitar, but then had to only work on one song your entire life, you'll, you'd probably start to lose some interest. Um, this next quote is from a book called The More You Do, The Better You Feel by David Parker. I heard about this book through an interview that Ali Abdal did. He's the, he's a YouTuber. He makes videos about productivity. Um, Ali Abdal was a doctor and then became a YouTuber where he would talk about medical school and then eventually went full-time to YouTube. And now um, I think most of his business is in building courses for people who want to create YouTube channels. Um, but he interviewed another author, Oliver Berkman, who wrote a book called 4,000 Weeks. And he also used to write, I think it was like a weekly or monthly um, column about kind of like productivity topics and that sort of thing. So he's seen all the techniques, Oliver Berkman, and he wrote a book called The Antidote, which is kind of about like anti-productivity. And same thing with 4,000 Weeks, where it it's not entirely like a criticism of trying to be productive, but it is um, more a criticism of thinking you can become perfectly productive. You can perfectly plan things and execute things and kind of like bend the world to your will. My main takeaway from that book, 4,000 Weeks, is this idea that just you need to, at some point, accept that there's comfort in accepting that you can't control everything. You can plan certain things, but if you want to live a life with relationships and friendships with other people, to build things with other people, it's going to require time with other people. And you have no control over their schedules, um, or at, at least much less control over their schedules. And to think that 
um, you can somehow control that, that that would be a, a fool's errand. That's kind of um, what 4,000, uh, my, my favorite takeaway from 4,000 hours. Anyway, so he, in this interview, Ali Abdal asks him like, okay, you've seen all these productivity techniques, which one actually works for you? And he says, he, that's where he mentions this book, The More You Do, The Better You Feel by David Parker. And the method in the book is called JOT, J-O-T, just one thing. It, it sound, and he, even as he's explaining, he's like, it, it does sound so simplistic, um, maybe dumb even, but it, it has worked when he's tried it. And what it is, is you only write, you have a list, you don't have a to-do list. You just start with an empty blank sheet of paper. You write down one thing that you're going to do next. And then once you do that, cross it off, write down the next thing that you're going to do, do that thing, cross it off. So you always only have one thing that is not crossed off on your list. That's the thing that you should be working on. And um, then by the end of the day, if you follow this, you have a full paper of things that you were doing. What this does is it, it's like getting a bunch of layups in. You, you get those small wins, you build some momentum, you see that you're completing things. And the examples in the book are, I, I think it's from like the early 2000s, uh, things like put the DVD case away or put the DVD back in the DVD case. Um, and th- there's some more like work-related examples, but they are very small tasks. And the idea is that you can start with like as small of tasks as you need to, to just build that momentum. Later on, you can start to do larger tasks, keep track of larger tasks, but you never turn it into a to-do list. You keep that separate somewhere else. You'll have a project list, task list somewhere else. But the main thing is to have a running jot list, just one thing, one active thing. I found it helpful. I've tried it during the workday, I found it helpful for, um, I'll just get distracted. And then at some point I will look at the list and remember like, oh yeah, that was the thing that at some point in my day, I decided is the most important thing before I got distracted with this other stuff. Um, so here we go. This is a quote from the book. The more you do, the better you feel. He says, however, as soon as that warm glow of satisfaction began fading, In its place, I began reviewing, examining, and criticizing the efforts that had brought that job to a close. Why didn't I finish it sooner? It really wasn't that difficult, was it? Why am I so dumb? What's wrong with me? That's the end of the quote. Those different questions that come up. Um, And I I think everyone has experienced this. I've experienced it recently where I've put off projects for a while or like tasks for a while, days, weeks. And then once I actually sit down to do it and like review what I needed to do, it's like, oh, okay, that task was not as large as I thought it was, not as hard as I thought it was. Sometimes it's harder. Sometimes like there's of course cases where you sit down to do the thing and it, it's just as hard as you thought it would be. But there are those situations where you sit down and do the thing and then realize like you have spent maybe like 10 times more energy worrying about it than it would have actually taken to just go ahead and do it. So start using that, the just one thing list. I found it helpful. Um, And he also includes this other quote from Deepak Chopra. The best use of imagination is creativity. The worst use of imagination is anxiety. All right. Let's see. So that's the second book. The third book that I'll mention that I finished really fast as far as my reading goes. Um, It was something like 400 pages. I finished it within a week. I had some long flights, so we flew to New York and back. So there's a lot of time to read. 
It's this book called The World of Warcraft Diary by John Stotts. This is another development diary, game design diary. John Stotts was game designer, level designer, who worked on World of Warcraft leading up to its original release. So he was working at Blizzard. It was actually the first team that he joined. So that's interesting. Just It was interesting to hear him joining Blizzard, coming on to, like, during the interview, he's not really told what game he would work on. And then I think not until maybe the middle of his first day or, like, first week. I think it's the first day. Uh, someone, like, pulls him in and says, like, hey, do you even know what you're working on? Let me show you. And then it's very, very, very early version of World of Warcraft. Um, I never played World of Warcraft. I, in hindsight, I don't know if this is actually true now. Like, you know, it's been almost 20 years. But my memory of it was I played a lot of StarCraft. I played a lot of Counter-Strike. I had seen some friends get very addicted to text-based RPGs. Um, and then I saw World of Warcraft was going to come out. I hadn't played an MMO. Um, I think, like, kind of to this day, I haven't really played an MMO with any, like, seriousness. Um, but I saw, yeah, okay, World of Warcraft is going to come out. It is looking awesome. Like, gonna, it's going to look, I mean, it looks awesome. It looks like a lot of fun, but I'm also going to start college. And maybe I don't want to start playing what looks to be a, a very, very addictive game. Uh, and I don't know. I just ended up, that was kind of the reason I remember, like, not playing it. So I've never played the game. And reading this book, I wish I had. I wish I had spent like some amount of hours playing this game because it sounds like it was such a great experience for the people who played it. God knows I, I had time in college, so um, yeah, which was probably spent playing StarCraft instead. So I, I could have just been playing World of Warcraft. Uh, and yeah, it's, it's just a great book about... I wrote down some takeaways. Games aren't exactly fun until near the end of development. There's a nuance here where he talks about Blizzard makes their own game engines. So that's where it's like most of the development of the game is in building the engine. So for years, he talks about like, I think it's like one or two years. I think it's like even up to two years where the game is just a world where you can run around even like most of the collision detection isn't there. Um, there's no quests. So quests got added later. No objectives, no combat mechanic, like no combat. There's animations to like swing your weapon, but um, the characters that don't have any stats. So you're not able to damage things. Nothing, nothing is built into the game to make it fun. It's just a world that you can explore. Um, but he loved that. He loved game design. And he would, how he got the job, he talks about, like, he, his portfolio was um, these levels he made for Quake on the side. And that's what he applied with and was able to get the job. And he just loved making, um, designing levels. And um, it does remind me of, like, what I mentioned earlier, that karate quote where he's talking about, like, you know, working on something you're excited to work on in the morning. And it sounds like John Stotts was pretty much excited and happy to work on level design for years. And um, he, he does talk about the amount of hours that they worked. And it is a big contrast to today where work-life balance is so emphasized. And even back then, it was kind of emphasized. He talks about like, oh, we're, not, we're doing crunch, like crunch hours, but it's not as bad as StarCraft. Blizzard learned 
you can burn out the team beyond repair with StarCraft. They were doing crunch hours. But for World of Warcraft, we're only doing two days a week. So Mondays and Wednesdays, you have to come in and work late. And you get Tuesdays and Thursdays to recover. And then, um, yeah, it, maybe you come in on weekends um, and work a full day then. And that's that's kind of like what it is. That's what's what what's expected. And then they have the crunch month leading up to different releases, different big dates. Um, anyway, excellent book. I it was yeah, just like fascinating to learn about how a game is put together. I have some understanding of like how software is put together with parallels to like a game development team. Not exactly the same, but understanding there's like engineers working on different things designers working on different things the, the difference is probably there's artists like a, a large team of artists and then product managers similar to game development there's the producers it sounds like they have similar roles i haven't done game development so i don't know if like I, i'm guessing this is like pretty similar um and here we go here's the quote that i have here alan adam had long maintained it was amateurs who felt compelled to be original these were the guys trying to impress journalists with novelty and who rarely asked themselves if their new approach was better. For years, Blizzard had shrugged off accusations that we never invented anything. We treated games seriously as a business, not as an opportunity to be avant-garde. That's the end of the quote. This is from World of the World of Warcraft Diary by John Stotts. What he's talking about there is um, Alan Adam. He's, I think, one of the founders of Blizzard or, or of Blizzard. Or um, I, sh- I should look it up. Um, let me see. I'll do a quick pause. Here we go. Okay. Alan Adam is an executive producer and one of the original founders of Blizzard Entertainment. And yeah, so um, the, yeah, the reason I highlighted that was probably just um, in thinking about creativity and what that means and that oftentimes it's combining things that exist. And if you are trying to create something entirely original that can be difficult but there is the balance of um how much you are combining from different things if you're only you know taking like 90 percent of something that exists and then combining it with like 10 percent of something else maybe that's not enough to um be like adding value to the world but this mindset of creating the best of something that exists it has worked for or worked for Blizzard back then. I have not followed games as closely these days, but um, I did see like people were mad about like Diablo being like mobile or a mobile version of Diablo, and now everyone's waiting for Diablo Four. Hopefully, they can get back to their roots. I have no um, say in the matter. I haven't followed it much beyond um, beyond that. That's like kind of what I know, um, and it does remind me of say like. Apple and how the iPod was not the first MP3 player, but it became the best one. Um, And now the last book, this last quote is from, I'm reading this one pretty, pretty quickly as well. Um, Have the audio book and yeah, I've just been like listening to it fittingly, like while working out, it's called discipline is destiny, the power of self-control by Ryan holiday. One of my favorite authors, I well, I listened to the Daily Stoic podcast and have read a number of his books. And yeah, if if you like Ego is the Enemy and 
Obstacle is the Way or any of Ryan Holiday's books, I think you'll really enjoy Discipline is Destiny, The Power of Self-Control. I've really enjoyed it. I think it's um, just a good time for me. I, I was really like looking forward to it, probably more than any of his other books and more than any book that I can think of like recently and in, in, say like the past year for like a nonfiction book, like, like waiting, waiting for it to release like the week of like, oh, I hope I can't wait to start reading this thing. And then of course, like thinking in my head, okay, a little bit, like, I know it's not true, but then there's always that feeling of I'm going to read a, bu- a book about discipline and then become perfectly disciplined after, and then, um, you know, live a perfect life after that. And yeah, I know that's not true, but hopefully I'll be able to apply a little bit of discipline. I, I feel like um, this year there, there was just a lot. We did, um, the house hunt at the beginning of the year. That was like the first three months. And then the next six months, it was hard to get footing because it's like trying to settle into the house. And then every month there was a wedding, um, some months, multiple weddings. And it was just a lot of traveling. Um, and yeah, a lot of traveling and yeah, just it does become hard to. I'm making a, it, it is an excuse um, or like a reason, but it does become you know you're you're with friends. There's a lot of social events for these trips. Get the mindset of like being on vacation. Um, and I say they're excuses because it's clear like oh, I could have approached it as um, a time to double down. Like I'm gonna take a trip. That means I have to be diligent about working out, like in the hotel or whatever it is making sure to set up some rules to follow and eating with friends and, um, and all of that. And, um, hopefully I can do that in the future, but just didn't do it this year. Um, have at least been like pretty consistent, I think with working out, but it was, Oh, also I had like elbow pain. There were just a lot of reasons, but I'm hoping I can build some discipline, get back on track, um, end the year, right. Um, in, better health, better shape. Um, and yeah, I I didn't even talk about the book yet. So, um, here's a quote and one, I think I want to keep in mind, we're going to go on this trip in a couple weeks to, or actually next week to Europe. So it'll be a nice time for me to try to stay healthy. Don't let myself go entirely. And this is the quote from the book. Discipline is destiny. The body is stupid. You have to understand and our, and, our temperament has to save it from itself. The body wants to eat until it is full, but it ends up way past that point. The body wants to drink until it is drunk, but we only feel that way when we're well beyond drunk. The body wants to be numb. It can put up with horse piss if it works, as Kennedy said. The body wants what it wants now. It can deal with the consequences later. That's the end of the quote. And yeah, just really enjoying the book. It's it has probably like what you expect it to have. He talks about practice, has some descriptions of Musashi and Musashi practicing with a sword, Lou Gehrig and his practice, and um, just that resilience to be able to show up every day. You don't have to lift mountains every day. You kind of just need to show up, do the work. It's not always going to be great work. Um, and it reminds me of workouts where um i listened to pat flynn and dan john they have a podcast together um each of them has a podcast and they're big on kettlebells dan john invented the goblet squat so um maybe wasn't the first to squat with a goblet like with a kettlebell but um definitely is credited for 
popularizing it, naming it. Um, and yeah, they have this term called punch the clock workouts. These are um, the ones to keep in the back pocket. You come in, you know, even if your mood's down, you'll be able to do something worthwhile in like 10 minutes to 20 minutes and come in, punch the clock, get out. And you've improved yourself a little bit on that day. And that's something that I've been trying to do the past week, the past month or so I've been doing like getting back into barbells. But um, for the past week, I've been like leading up to this trip. I just wanted to start to into, I, I was missing daily workouts, the barbells, it was every other day. Um, and then I was just not really enjoying the days off. In, not not in a no days off sort of thing, but I, I do feel better when I work out. So I was trying to think of like, let me just start doing finding like a daily workout. So I've been doing like a 30 minute workout with kettlebells. It's written on the wall. Nice thing. Easy to follow. Have been doing that. And I've just found it is something I look forward to. And after I'm done, I feel good. Um, anyway, so hopefully I can build some discipline. Hopefully... Uh, I'll record more podcasts in the future. I think I let things get away from me. I guess like create in the like side projects, creative work, um, because like actual work was getting like kind of hard also. So um, thanks for listening this far. Um, podcast is still alive. I think at some point I'm going to, I did buy the URL active-recall.com. I need to switch it back. The reason being I've started to make some YouTube shorts and I really don't want to change the name. I have like youtube.com slash active recall. So I'm just going to make it, bring it all back to active recall. And then me and Wally at some point will record again. As usual, thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. Read on or something. <laughs> go, go read a book.